Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. We're going to continue, um, we're going to kind of on that same note, uh, go into a new series that I feel like the Lord put on my heart a few weeks ago. I had hoped to stretch out the, the Lord's Prayer, but I felt like we were supposed to end it last week. Uh, so we're going to go into something that I want to talk about today called Growing Gratitude. You know, there's, there's times that sometimes I teach, sometimes I share, sometimes I have a message, but today it's going to be mixed with some preaching today. So I really, uh, if y'all want to amen a little bit, we'll get into it together. But I really feel like I have something in my heart that I want to share with all of us that will encourage us and even have the opportunity to shift our perspective as we grow in gratitude. And so this is one of those things that you recognize it when someone doesn't have it. Right When you're around someone who's just constantly negative and you walk away from that time you were with them in their presence, you can't help but be just a little bit heavier. You just, I mean, negative Nancy, Sarah Sal, whatever name it is you got, right? It's, you just feel the weight of someone who is ungrateful. But what about the opposite? You ever been around someone who's just always so thankful? who just can see the bright side. Sometimes, sometimes Rick and I will even jump, but sometimes even to the effect, you're like, this is not even real. Like it's got, it's got to be real. Okay. It's got to be realistic. It's got to be not with a, a blind eye to, to what's happening in life, but just able to see, wow, but you know what? I trust that God's going to work all things out. I know who he is in my life. I've seen what he's done in the past. I know that's who he's going to continue to be for me. And they can just almost ooze with this, this gratefulness to who God is in their life and what he does. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about how we grow in gratitude. And I don't know about you, but in 2019, this is something that our society and our culture needs to hear. It's not just because our teenagers are teenagers, but I look at just how much is happening in our nation and it has little to do with being grateful for what we have in front of us. It has to do more with what I don't have. I'm not seen. My voice isn't heard. Um, no one's observing my rights or things like that. And instead, we end up with so much disdain. We end up with such a heart of ungratefulness for what we do have. When if we were to go somewhere else and travel the world, boy, I think we would come back with a different perspective. And so I want us today to be able to leave here where we're at and growing gratitude. And, and this is intentional, right? We're going into Thanksgiving season. And what better time to really kind of meditate and reflect on what does it mean to truly be thankful? Because I hope Thanksgiving for you is, is more than turkey and football games, even though those are good. I hope for you Thanksgiving is, is more than just cooking in the Macy's Day Parade, which is what I grew up watching every morning, no matter what. It was just on in the background. But I hope Thanksgiving is more than just pumpkin pie, which my wife will say an amen there, in a day of the year where we see estranged family members. I hope Thanksgiving is more than just crazy shopping and buying things that we don't need to impress people we don't even like. I hope Thanksgiving is more than all of these things. I hope it will become a hallmark of who we are. I hope it will, will make us stand out in a world that is full of ungratefulness, that against that backdrop, people will see us and see the light of Christ and see that we are thankful because of what God is doing in our lives. I want us today to look at how do we grow in gratitude. And the first thing I want to share with you is I was studying this week, I feel like the spirit of, of Pastor James just came on me. And I, and I had this point here. And, and my wife said, you got to get rid of that. That's not you. And it goes like this. It says, your attitude of gratitude will determine your altitude. Now, he would be proud of that, wouldn't he? Pastor James would definitely be amen in that one. 
And so, but there's such truth to even the rhythm there of it, that your attitude of gratitude, your gratitude is going to determine how far you go in the Lord. And let me explain that. When we don't have a perspective of thanks for what he is doing, and we can no longer see where he is in, in, at work in our lives, it will, it will stagnate our growth and maturity. It will stagnate the process that he had us on to be able to develop and grow and appreciate. And even because you're going to see as we talk about this today, our faith is so attached to our thanksgiving. And, and I think about that, how our attitude of gratitude will determine our altitude. And I don't want us to be stunted. I want us to be able to continue to rise in our relationship with the Lord. And so I want to share a couple of principles with you this morning on Thanksgiving. The psalmist would write in Psalms 56, oh, sorry, 50. In Psalm 50, verse 23, he says this. He says, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. And to the blameless, I will show my salvation. I don't know if you know this, but you can bring an offering to the Lord that isn't pleasing to him. We can come to God with a heart that isn't pure. We can come to him as we even looked at through uh, the Lord's prayer that we can come to him with uh, false motives, with an, an alternate agenda than what would be one that he would want to respond to. We can come to the Lord and, and he talks about this a lot in the Old Testament. You're bringing me all these offerings and, and I hear what you're saying. I hear what's on your lips but I also see what's in your heart. Your heart is far from me. And I don't want that to be us. And he's saying here, those who sacrifice thank offerings, they honor me. And I believe the second part of this verse is attached to those thanksgivings. He says, and to the blameless, I will show my salvation. I don't know what you're facing in your life. If you're needing the Lord to save you in some situations, in some relationships, you need to see his salvation, his redemption, his redeeming work. Begin to thank him. Begin to thank him for what he has done in your life. And watch how salvation, his redeeming nature begins to show up and come full circle again in your life and again in your life. Because this is part of the process is we begin to fixate on him and not our problems and what we don't have, our lack. We begin to experience him in a way that we never have before. This is who he is. And so I want us to move right into something that I think is really powerful as he talks to the Israelites and Moses is giving the words of the Lord to the people as they have exited out of slavery, they've left Egypt and he says to them, give me just a few moments to read through some verses and then we're going to go back and talk about them. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, he says, hey, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. In verse two, Deuteronomy 8, he says this. He says, remember how the Lord, your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. We had a, a series that we, we reflected on how we remember the Lord. And I think here it's so interesting because that's what Thanksgiving is really about. It's about remembering the Lord. Thanksgiving is about reflecting on what he has done and who he is in your life. Thanksgiving is, I am so thankful and I acknowledge my perspective is shifted to remembering how the Lord your God has done. Who is, you fill in the blanks. And when he says this, he says to humble, remember how he led you through some of the journeys you're walking in life. He has been with you. He has not abandoned you. He has been with you the entire time. 
He says, this was all to humble you and to test you. And I don't think this is in order that the Lord would know what's in your heart, but so that you would know what was in your heart. So that you would be able to see, hey, what, what is, am I, am I going to keep his commands? Am I going to follow him when the going gets tough? When the rubber meets the road? And he continues in verse three, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We hear Jesus echoing that. Your clothes, they did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Some of y'all are claiming that promise right there. I know some of y'all's feet swell. Anyways, so verse five, know then in your heart. (laughs) Oh yeah, smell, not swell. It's a different translation. Know then in your heart that as a man disciples his son, so the Lord, I'm sorry, disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Verse six, observe the commands of the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to him and revere him. Literally, that word there in the Hebrew is to fear reverently. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out. It's going to be full of life. It's going to fill the valleys and the hills alike. A land with wheat and barley and hummus and, and all the good, the sushi and vines and fig, fig trees and fig newtons and pomegranates and <laughs> olive oil and honey nut Cheerios and so many good things. It is going to be a land with everything you would desire, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land definitely full of chicken nuggets. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten, now wait, this is where we're going to be Thanksgiving uh, evening, going into, going into that good Black Friday, right? When you have eaten and are satisfied, there we are. Praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Remember what He has done. On the hills of that blessing, when you have been filled, when you have been satisfied, don't forget Don't forget the one who has brought you through. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, this isn't the guy I want to be. When you eat and are satisfied, you build your fine houses and you settle down. And when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart becomes proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of that land of slavery. This is human nature. This is our tendency. God does something amazing in our life. We are filled. We are satisfied. We're able to relax and rest because of his great provision. And then we forget the one who has done it all. We're like, well, look, I'm self-made man. And this doesn't negate the fact that we have to trust, that we have to have faith, that we have to get out there and put in our our labor as well. We join what he even gives us the strength and the ability to do. But then we somehow diminish and recognize that he is the one that sustains us in all things, giving us the ability, allowing everything to actually bear fruit that we put our hands to. We forget the Lord so easily. And that's why we need to be reminded to grow in gratitude. And I want to take us somewhere and I'm going to connect the dots here between this and what Peter writes in the New Testament. If you've got a paper Bible, I'll give you a second to flip those pages to 1 Peter 5. I think this is really interesting that as Peter writes to them about a similar theme, he says in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. I think he's talking about Tito. All of you, because Tito's been giving me a hard time about my preaching here lately. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. This is humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. This is a principle here I don't want us to miss. 
God opposes the proud, but he shows favor, or in other translations, he gives grace to the humble. I don't think it's God's got his arm out at at an arm's length distance when we are full of pride, but I think we remove ourselves from the ability to receive from him when we are self-sustaining. And so the position here, the way God put the way the verses read, it sounds like, well, no, he's against you when you're full of pride. No, actually you've positioned yourself in such a way that you can't receive from God. You have put yourself, yeah, I don't need you. I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-sustaining. And so here, when we are operating in that mode, he can't help us. He can't get involved, but he gets involved. He gives grace. He en- enables. He gives strength. He gives, shows favor to the humble. And so Peter continues. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up when it's the right time, when it's in due season. He says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And, and I quote this verse all the time, but it is coupled with us living a life of self-sufficiency. It is coupled with us being, uh, you know, hey, I'm a man's man. I got what it takes. I can do this on my own. I don't need nobody's help, including yours, God. No, cast your cares. Don't walk in this pride. Don't even allow the enemy to trick you that you are that person. Because look, it is connected to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around. He's looking for you to fall prey to that lie that you are the the self-sustainer of your life, that you are the provider, that after he does something, you go away and you forget that it was him. That's human nature. That's our tendency. And that's where the enemy can get back in. And he binds us again in slavery. We may not look like Egypt, but we're no longer in fellowship with the Lord. We're no longer walking in tandem with him. Instead, we're that lone ranger. We're cavalier. We've We've got it in ourselves to be able to carve our own way. And that was never God's intent. And he says, resist him, stand firm in the faith that you would need to trust in someone greater than yourselves. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the whole world is undergoing these same hardships. And the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory after you've suffered just a little while, he will do, th- he will do a few things. And I love this. He will restore you. He will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So let me, let me marry these things for just a second on what he talked about in Deuteronomy 8. He said, I caused you, I humbled you by causing you to be hungry so that I could provide this manna for you. And there's systems in the world and the ebbs and flows of what I see God's design being so that we would recognize our need for him. So hunger, thus we need sustenance. We go, we need rest. Thus we lay down. Not only is that an example of the resurrection, but our need for his life and renewal in our bodies. And so we see all these patterns of, of hunger, desire to be satisfied. He satisfies us, but, but it's also, it's innate in all the things in the world that he has created that we would see that we need him. We depend upon him. We can't provide these things for ourselves. Now you're like, wait a minute, Michael, I, I've got, I put the seeds in the ground, I watered them, I weeded them, I grew the crops. I did do that myself. I dare say that without all the power of God that holds your molecules together and what allows the things in this world to be sustainable, according to Colossians 1, that he is literally the one spinning it all, that without him, if he were to let go of what is in his control, watch how much is not in your control. Everything. We have a good God. And I don't want us to fail to see that on the other side of what he has done in our lives, that we forget 
that it is him who is the sustainer of all things. And when we, when we are acknowledging this, we resist the enemy, he comes in like a flood and he restores us. He begins to, through that humility to give us grace and grace is an enabler. It's not just a pardon, right? Grace is what gives us strength. According to what Paul writes, it is what gives us strength to say no to ungodliness and to live the life that he's called us to live. That is what grace does. Grace works in our life. And so grace restores and it strengthens and it gives us a firm and steadfast foundation. And there's no shortcut as he's talking about here. After you've suffered a little while, you're gonna go through some things. You're gonna go through some tests and some trials so that you can see where your heart's at. Let me reveal this to you for a moment, God would say, so that you can see that you need me. And that he's so bent on relationship. Crystal, I'm, so, I'm such an advocate that God will allow things to happen in our lives just so that he can have fellowship with us. So that we keep coming back to him so that he can have communion with us. He's so bent on relationship that he is, he is a man, but he is a gentleman. He will not force himself on us, but he will allow things to happen to where he say, can we do this together? Because I want, I want to have that, I want to do this with you. I want to be with you. And that's what we see here. He's bringing us back to that. And ungratefulness is quite the opposite. And I don't know about you, but it's no different with my kids. Like I, I have to spend so much time teaching my kids to be thankful when they're first born till they finally get it a little bit better. And then it's just the reminders, maybe constantly. But, but I teach them to not only say thank you, but to walk constantly with an attitude of, of gratefulness so that when they're not under my supervision, when they're with Mimi and Papaw, when they're here at church, I hope they're the same way, that they remember to say thank you. And Levi now, when he's getting that cookie at Sam's, how many of you know I go to Sam's a couple times every week, that Levi knows, what, what do you say? Thank you, you know, and so the, the lady just yesterday, because we might have been there, you know, and so we have to, we ingrain it in them early because if we allow them to be ungrateful and they think that they deserve, that they're entitled, that'll, that'll, that'll trickle to every area of their life. How many of you know we see a culture of that right now? We see a culture of that today, and that is not God's design. And so we have to show them, I have to reveal the need to my kids. You need these things, but look at the provision that God has provided or someone has given to you. Here's a need and it was provided for you. Now what's the proper response? We have to show the need. We have to show them the provision and then the proper response. And it's no different for us in our faith. And I want to show you something as, as we talk about this, as we talk about showing that we reveal the need, the provision, and the proper response, let me show you something that I think is really neat in the Last Supper. And I mentioned this just a little bit on Wednesday. I hope I didn't give away too much. Mostly just BJ's going to remember. It was a small crowd. And I don't have all the verses I want. Yeah, I do. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit further than what I have on here. So give me just a second. I'm going to give you the starting verse. But if you have your real Bible and not my screen, I'm going to go um, to verse 27 that I'm not going to put up here. And so this is the Last Supper. This is Jesus and his cronies having this meal together. They've been in the habit of doing this. They understand what it represents in their heritage, the exit out of Egypt, the, the blood on the doorpost, what now Jesus is giving a whole new meaning to. Uh, I think he would break out into the Disney song, A Whole New World or something, but he would write the lyric. It would, a whole new world. Anyways. That's all I got. That's all I got. I'm glad we took up the, the offering before I started singing, right? Whew. Not taking up a second one. So here's what he says. 
He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, literally the word here in Greek is where we get eulogy. So the, at the beginning of it, the U is, is a giving and legeo is just where we get word, uh, logos. So eulogy. And so he's giving a word. He's giving, he's pronouncing a word, a blessing over the bread. And he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples. That was very customary. He got, everybody got that. But then he says, take eat, this is my body. But then he takes the cup. And this is where a, a, a new nuance comes in for what we're talking about today. We're talking about gratitude. He takes the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Jesus gives thanks for something that is about to cost him his life. He gives thanks for something that is going to mean his death, but the life of everyone else that is partaking and will partake for the generations to come. And the word that we get from that, it's really interesting. The word for thanks here is Eucharisteo, which literally in the middle here, it's, it's where we get Eucharist. And charis here in the middle is, is the, the root word that everything is built around. Charis can have so many different meanings. It can mean grace or favor or literally rejoicing. And so literally he is giving, he is eucharisteo. He is giving of an overflow of thanksgiving, of rejoicing, of grace over what is about to happen in this cup. He is full of thanks. And it is almost always used exclusively in the New Testament when it's directed to God. And we, we call it the Eucharist. We partake and we remember. Hopefully that is a remembering with thanksgiving. Because here our Savior has already taught us we give thanks. If we want to enter in, what was it? We offer sacrifices of pray, of thanksgiving. And what happens? We begin to see his salvation at work in our lives. We begin to see his redemption. And look at how God, how Jesus himself is showing us how to give thanks to what is going to lead to our redemption and, th- and, and praise and salvation, which is amazing that Jesus would be able to give that in that moment, knowing what is on the hills of this supper. How much more we in remembrance of him can give him thanks for what he has done. Our lives are different for all eternity. What has happened in me the addictions that have been broken, the the cycles of sin that continue to be worked out because of this right here, what Jesus would do on that cross represented in that cup. We can give thanks. We can overflow with gratitude. It's powerful when we begin to operate in that. And so with Jesus getting ready, I believe that this is something that became the lifeblood of the church. How many of you guys realize that this was meant to be more than just a festival celebrated by the Jews? This became the lifeblood of the church. It says in Acts chapter two at the end, you know, on the great day of Pentecost, and and we love to, to talk about what happened there when the Holy Spirit fell, but they gave themselves to four things. At the end of Peter's sermon, there were a number that were added to the church, but they devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, which I believe is representative, referencing the Eucharist here, how they would break bread together. And as often as they did that, remember what Christ had done. And so, and they gave themselves to this fellowship, to apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. But all this was surrounded by the continual thanksgiving that the early church would be known for that they would be known for. And we'll see here in just a minute how Paul really highlights that. And so Paul says to us, he says, hey, you need to stand out in a world full of ungrateful people as those that are full of gratitude. 
You need to stand out as light shining in a dark world because of how different you are. Amen. Give me just a moment to take you through. R2-D2. <laughs> but mark this, he says, this is uh, Paul writing to Timothy. And to give you a little bit of idea on what he's talking about here, he's talking about the, the last days and what people will be like um, in, those, in those end times. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Malls will close. Thanksgiving shopping will decrease. It has nothing to do with any of that. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Can I get an amen? No. Ungrateful and unholy. Without love, he goes on. And he, he enumerates 19 different things here that will really catalog and, and earmark people in the end times of how they will be so self-absorbed and, and without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I want to go back to that. He says in verse two, he says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. And this is a word here that is literally the uh, opposite. It's the antithesis of that word used for the Eucharist. Eucharisteo is now, it's thrown with a, an alpha in the front. So it's literally like it's an antithesis, it's an opposite, and it's acharistos. He says, literally, they will be devoid of any thanksgiving, unable to even give thanks and gratitude. This is the end times. And it looks so familiar to me when I look around, I'm like, wow, we've got a bunch of ungrateful. And then, you know, I don't know what kind of words y'all use, but ungrateful people in the world is what I usually say. And I'm like, man, this is what Paul wrote about. And I think about the spirit from which we operate. Is it going to be a spirit that is remembering of Christ that we are overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving? Or is it going to be one that Paul predicted that is devoid of thanksgiving and can't even see what the Lord has done? Will we remember or will we forget after his provision in our life? And I hope that the spirit from which we will draw from, the well that, that we will live our life from, will be one worth replicating because you can't help but be contagious. And I hope that it will be gratitude. I hope that it will be thanksgiving. I hope that you will choose to defy the odds of what is happening in your life and say, but God, just watch what he's gonna do. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I'm gonna choose to focus on thanksgiving and gratitude and just watch his salvation show up in my life. Just get ready. I don't know how it's gonna happen. I didn't think we were gonna get out of Egypt. Who thought that that would change? A, a Red Sea doing what? Are you kidding? Walls of water? You made me hungry so that I would depend on you, God. You, all this journey in life is so that I would come back to you and say, all right, I don't know how you're going to do it, but it's got to be you because I can't. Now we can have a relationship, he says. Now we can do this together. Come and walk with me. And it will be from Thanksgiving and that overflow. But there's someone that will come against us. I'm not going to lie to you because anytime I begin to operate in this, yesterday, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm glad my wife left. It was just one of those days when I was just in my feelings. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I don't know what was going on. And then I sat down last night to read through this again. And I'm like, I know I wrote this this week, but I sure did not do well today on nailing it. And it was just one of those days where literally I was looking at things of what was not. How many of you know it's easy to get sucked into that? 
of what's not. My house isn't clean enough. It's never going to be clean, right? We don't have enough rooms for the kids that keep coming in. Our, we're never going to have enough room, right? What, there, what is ever going to be enough? But God, you know what? We have peace in our home. If I won't re- interrupt it, God, my kids have joy and they're satisfied because they know you. <laughs> Somebody needs a lot. Of, but, but I recognize, you know what? There's someone who wants to steal that gratitude in my life. Yeah, my flesh sure does. There's someone else. There's an enemy. And let me show you what he does. In Revelation 12, he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And so here, the voice in heaven is is depicting, okay, salvation and power and glory have shown up. His kingdom has come. But there is one who wants to silence the noise of redemption, who wants to silence that noise. And how does he do it? But by accusing us, but by pointing out, you don't have, you didn't do, you, you, you lack, you lack. He draws attention to what's not through accusation of where you're not or who you're not. It could be in your identity. It could be in what you, ju- what you did yesterday, what you did seven years ago. You lack. He accuses you of something that you can't go back and reflect on with gratitude and thanksgiving because you did it. But for God and his redeeming work and salvation, can we say to the enemy, hey, guess what? We can triumph over you by the blood of the lamb. Look what God did. And now we have a testimony. We have a word that it can be spoken against you, accuser. Bring up what you want, because I see that the salvation has come through that cup, the blood of the lamb. Are y'all catching this? By that blood of the lamb, now I can give thanksgiving and give testimony. Yeah, that may have been who I was, but it's not who I am. My past is not my identity. It's not my present. It's not going to dictate my future either. So listen up, buddy. You will not hold me back. And then we have someone who goes to bat for us. And this is what I love. We may have an accuser, but we also have an advocate. And this is on the heels of one of my favorite verses, 1 John 1, 9, where he says, hey, guess what? You sin, confess, confess your sin. Because we have someone who is faithful and just to forgive us. And then he goes into chapter two. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But hey, but if you do, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Hey dad, they're, they're mine my blood that I shed for them, they've accepted it. They're not perfect yet. I'm still working in their lives. Sanctification's still happening. It's still that work in progress. They're mine. The accuser can't speak that over them. Amen. Don't allow him to speak that over you. Take those thoughts captive. Take them to the obedience of Christ, literally to what he has done through that cup. Make them obey him because he is our advocate, not our accuser anymore. We do not have an accuser. We have an advocate with the Father. Amen? And so as I think about this advocate, I think, God, fill me with a spirit that is not ungrateful, but instead abounding in thanksgiving for what you have done for me. Let nothing be able to silence the sounds of redemption among your people. That's what I prayed this week. And so it happens every year, right? My kids, it's going to happen on Christmas Day, probably the three different Christmases we celebrate with family. They're going to rip open something. And if it's a toy, they don't have to wear it, right? If it's a toy, they're going to say, hey, can we, can we play with it? And I'm going to have to remind them, what do you say? And they're going to look over at the person that gave it to them because we made them look at the tag, right? Because we have to teach them to say thank you. What do you say? Thank you. But it's not much different for us when we get older. We walk to the fridge 
It's full of food. The pantry may be stocked, but what do we say? I have nothing to eat. I'm on whole 30, Crystal. There's nothing to eat. Whatever. May, we, we literally will turn on our 70-inch TV with communist cast throwing channels through it. That's who I have. I don't know who you have. And, and we'll, it, we've got hundreds of channels potentially, and we have nothing to watch. There's nothing on. Maybe not. Turn to the Hallmark channel. It's all the same. You can watch that. Or we'll go to the closet. My wife never does this, but she'll go to the closet. She won't go to the closet. And we have tons of clothes and shoes to match, and, but we have nothing to wear for Sunday morning. And we won't even try on three or four things before we finally find one to wear. That doesn't happen ever, right? Because we're not geared towards gratitude. We are not in our sinful nature wired towards thanksgiving. We have to rewire us through the word, through the renewing of our mind, saying, God, I will remember what you have done. My wife's also going to remember, she said, what I have done. I saw a fist back there. (laughs) If anybody wants to take me out for lunch, I am available now. I'll be walking home as well. The revelation of gratitude is, is what will change our life forever. I don't know if you realize this, but it is not happy people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are happy. Gratitude is what will change and transform your outlook on life. And I don't know about you, but the, the most grateful people are usually the most generous ones. I, I don't know if you've ever like, I'll be honest, I grew up in a family that was re- tried to be really good with their money, meaning borderline stingy and greedy. And so I had to, I'm still working on learning how to be, be generous. But once you start being generous, you kind of want to be a little more generous. Like you're more apt to give a little bit over here and to this or or to this person who's in need. Once you start being generous, it's it's a little contagious in your own life. And when you're around someone like Pastor James was here at this church, you can't help but overflow in generosity because that's what gratitude will do. And gratitude, it makes you more attractive. People want to be around you. Gratitude is what establishes faithfulness and loyalty in our marriages. Gratitude makes us able to forgive and to forgive deeply, deeply. Because when we are grateful for what God has forgiven us of, we are able to freely give it away to others. It's not happy people who are grateful. It is grateful people who are happy. I mentioned this story in Luke chapter 10, and I'm gonna actually gonna skip ahead to verse 12. I mentioned this last week, but in, in honor of what we're talking about today, I just wanna talk about it, and then we'll be closing out. Jesus is talking about a story here that happened to him or, or Matthew's record, I'm sorry, Luke's recording. It. And he says, hey, as, he was, as Jesus was going into a village, there were 10 men who had leprosy that met him and stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go. This was customary. This was what they did. This was tradition. Go and show yourself to the priest. If you had been cleansed of leprosy, you would show yourself to the priest and they would tell you if you could then enter back into society. And as they went, because the command for them to obey was go, and and as going, this was going to be the response of their faith. Oftentimes for us, it is in obedience to what God has told us to do that he will meet us with the miracle that we've been waiting on. It is in response to what he has asked us to do in our lives that he will show up a provision unlike anything we could have fathomed, and the miracles will begin in our lives in that walk of obedience and said, one of them, when he saw he was healed, guess what he did? He came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. 
And he was a Samaritan. Hey, just by the way, he was one that, that we stereotyped, that we go ahead and, and racially profile. This is what Luke is recording. He was a Samaritan. The one that came back is, is one that not only had leprosy, which leprosy was enough to be an outcast. It wasn't like if you get leprosy today. No, you left the village. You are on the outside of the city. You had a place with other lepers where you would be. But this man who has experienced healing is also on top of that, the ones that we like, oh, okay. Hmm. I bet he was part of that, that, that bombing at the temple the other day. I bet, he was, uh, I bet he's the one that we've been looking for. He matches that, that mugshot we saw on the screen that the news was running. He was the one that you racially profiled. And he's the one who returns with Thanksgiving. And Jesus asked, he says, hey, wait a minute. We're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? This is one of Jesus' most profound moments of expressing where is gratitude on the earth? Where is Thanksgiving? He says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And let me say this to people that grew up in church, and sometimes we have the ability to take for granted what God wants to do in our lives, that it is oftentimes those who don't expect it of him that experience him in more miraculous ways and come back with thanksgiving. God, I just expect you to, that's what you do. I, I saw you do it for my mom. You'll do it for me. I saw you, but those who are foreigners to the things of God are oftentimes the ones who are more grateful. I see it in my line of work. I see it what I, what I do on the streets. That when uh, someone who has been set free from addiction, someone who is having to sell themselves for, for the next fix, next thing you know, when their life gets straightened because God has shown up in their lives, they are the most grateful people and will serve anywhere. But I can't pull people in the church who have grown up in it on their lives to do a thing for Jesus. Those who have been forgiven much, they give much. And so we see it here that has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You see the first step for me, where are these other nine? Do you think they weren't grateful? I think if we could have found them, they would have said, oh yeah. Oh, I'm super grateful that Jesus did that. That was amazing. It's changed my life. Well, that's great. But why didn't you go back and express it? Let me say, sometimes unexpressed gratitude can be felt like ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude can almost even feel like rejection. So let's express it. When we are grateful, let's express it to our spouse, to our, to our boss, whatever it may be. Maybe you expected that. Let it be out of gratitude that you operate. From those wells, let it be contagious that you are, that you are thankful. And that first step of gratitude is, I thank you for but I don't want us to stop there. And I mentioned this a little bit on Wednesday is that this is kind of entry level for returning gratitude. Is that God, I thank you for, and then it's a tangible, something you can see, something that happened. But also I want to encourage us, let's thank God even though. God, I thank you even though this is what I'm walking through, that you are still God that is sovereign. You are supreme. I thank you that you have been with me, that even through that valley of the shadow of death, you have not abandoned me. And here's what I love is that better what the eye sees in Ecclesiastes 6, 9 than the roving of the appetite. I love this. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Literally, gratitude. Can I talk? Just take a break, y'all. Y'all have a... Let me get some more coffee. Gratitude will transform what we have into enough. Ingratitude transforms what we have into never enough. 
And so as Paul is telling Timothy, this is what I want you to be earmarked by. This is the hallmark. This is what will be the, antith- the literally the, the, the dark and the light will contrast, the contrast between you. And, and yes, we never have enough. I, I, the shed would be absolutely great, but we'll never have enough. I'll just fill up that shed. I'll find more stuff to put in it. I already know how this works. But we want to add to that level of God, thank you for that God, I thank you that. That God, you are with me, that your presence is here, that you never abandoned me, that you are faithful. The psalmist would write, as I was mentioning, even though I walk through the valley, you are with me. I don't have to fear because you are with me. You put a table before me. And we don't stop here. We add to God, you are full for us. And so it's true that some preach, as Paul would say, Christ out of envy and, ri- and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, he says, would do this out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul even acknowledges there are people that are doing things for the wrong reasons, even in my life. But I'm going to be grateful that the gospel is being preached. It's happening. Some, some are doing it out of the wrong motives. But he says, some are doing it out of love, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that the gospel's being preached. It's getting out there. And I know that God is still in control and his wisdom is greater than mine. Literally, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so we want to be more than just a people that will say, God, I thank you for, but I thank you even though. I thank you that. Bruce, would you come up and just play for a moment? Has this spoken to anyone else in the house? I know this, is, this has really helped me this week. Good, 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 good. I'm not alone. Here's what I want us to remember about our God as we land this plane. It's Psalm 119, 68 would tell us, it says, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. God, let me reflect on who you are and not get caught, caught up in just what you do because then I'm, I'm kind of, I'm counting the beads. I'm seeing how many are on my side and how many I don't have. God, I want to reflect on who you are. I want, it, I want to be thankful for, but I also want to be thankful even though. I want to be thankful that. And it's based on your character, God. It's based on your divine nature that I am thankful because you were willing to pass that cup of suffering through my life that I might know, know the fruit of redemption, that the ripples of the sound of redemption in my life could be heard. And the accuser has no right to say anything in my life that I can stand up and say, but God, but God, I'm not falling for that. It's not me. I'm not gonna fall for what the enemy wants to convince me of, but God, look what he has done. And in due time, he will exalt. He will allow, what are the results of that grow, that, that faith to be steadfast and firm and strength in your life. If you're lacking in any of that, this is the way to it. Through gratitude, through thanksgiving. God, you are good and you only do good things. And he would continue to say, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Take refuge in him this morning. Through thanksgiving and gratitude, take refuge in him. I love how Paul would start and end every letter intentionally with a note of thanksgiving. I give thanks for your faith and abounding in love and your encouragement to me. I give thanks for these things. 
I remember my brothers at the end of, of one of his letters. I remember Onesimus and, and all those that have Epaphras and those who have really fought the good fight, that have never abandoned what Christ has started in their lives. I give thanks for these things. Our lives, the letter of our lives should begin and end with the same notes, with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Would you make that choice with me in this season, over these next few weeks, that we will focus on what he has done and who he is in our lives? that we wouldn't caught, focus on, on lack, that we wouldn't fall prey to the spirit of this age, but we would say, God, I, I drink of this cup of thanksgiving and remember who you are and what you've done. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I can't help but thank you on a day like today because I know what kind of scum I am without you and that my inability without your strength even in my body to hold everything together in my life. God, help me to reflect in this season to remember where you have brought me from, but also who you are, the sustainer of all things. I thank you for, but I also thank you even though. Because even when these seasons are over, even when these tests have come through, God, I'll see that you are the sustainer of all things. I am dependent upon you. In this place, if you're in this room today, nobody looking around, every head bowed, eyes closed. If you'd say, Michael, I need prayer this week. I'm having trouble trusting God with even just my daily bread, with what's going to come next. Lord, I need you in a, in a miraculous way to show up for my family, for my health, for my relationship, for my mental uh, facilities. God, for whatever it is you're believing and needing God to show up for. And you're saying, I want to be thankful, but I don't even know how to get there because I'm so sidelined by all the things that are coming against me. There's something I can't even emotionally get to that point. If that's where you're at today, would you just raise your hand? I want to specifically pray for you. Yes, 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 Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I just believe in this place, you're gonna to begin to take thoughts and emotions captive, that they're gonna become obedient to the truth of who you are in their lives, that we will no longer be bogged down by depression. I break that spirit off. There will not be fear. There will not be a series of lack in their lives, Lord, but they will be built up in their faith. I pray that in Jesus' name, in their spirit, that you would begin a supernatural work. Come as a child and believe. This is your father. He loves you. He is radically passionate about you. He is your provider. Lord, begin to break these things off of them, the heaviness on their shoulders, over their mind. Lord, I just believe that you're gonna break that in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we will be careful to give you thanks, to give you praise, because you are good, and what you do is good. Teach us your ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.